ulterior. So, I know that this episode is late, and it was delayed for rather a cornucopia of reasons, really. Um, one of them was very, very personal, like, immensely personal, and uh, I-, I won't talk about it right now. Um, the time will come for me to kind of a- express what has happened and what it means for the future and what is happening currently still. Maybe it's just mental, but also maybe it's, you know, real. I don't fucking know, man. Um, so that's the main reason. The other reason is some of this episode was lost. And what I mean by that was I was clearing out uh, some files on my MacBook and I, I guess I had cleared out some of the things that I had already saved for the episode without realizing that the episode was never uploaded. So now maybe like 30% of this episode uh, has to be re-recorded right now. And so that's also something that I've been holding off on because, you know, it's kind of tedious to just go back and re-record shit, but it has to happen. So that's where we're at now. Um, if you're still here and you still fuck with everything I'm doing and you're still like genuinely interested in the year end shit, honestly, like for real, for real, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I feel like all I do, all I've done lately is just give you guys reasons to not believe in the future and the progression of this whole platform. But if you're still here, thank you. And I will do my very, very best to be here and be attentive and be a spotlight on the scene for a long time. So that's all I really want to get out of the way right now. Um, this episode, it's a little bit shorter in terms of like the amount of releases that I want to go into, but I think that I have a lot to say about all of them. So I'm going to be looking at a new single by four in hands and then three of the biggest releases of the entire year, Silent Planet, Dying Wish, and Spirit Box. Thank you so much. Thank you for tapping in and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. So let's talk about Slipknot and whatever is happening with them right now. Because over the weekend, the band put onto their social media accounts a now-deleted post announcing the departure of Jane Weinberg, who was their drummer. And I say departure, but I I use that term very loosely. Because there's really no clear answer as to what happened right now. Was it a mutual decision? Was... Jay just removed from the band. The phrasing on the post kind of indicates that might be what happened. And if that is so, it's very, um, how do I say this? I think a lot of fans online see this as a betrayal and they're hurt by this. And I think that is a justified reaction because Jay had stepped up for the band after Joey left back in 2013, and he was a 
very vital and necessary part to the continuation of that band and he was with them through three record cycles over the last 10 years and for all of this to just happen at random on a social media post that the band disabled comments on literally two days after headlining a festival with them it's very strange and i think any anger right now towards the band like i said is warranted because there is silence amongst every camp Slipknot has not said anything, Jay has not said anything, I have no idea when we can expect that to change, but as things stand right now, what Slipknot did, with no real explanation aside from, in quotation marks, creative differences, whatever that is meant to mean, because that can indicate a lot of things, it sucks, and... I, I'm hardly anybody to ever say that, like, a band owes fans anything, but I think in a scenario like this where there is little to no clarity about what really happened, and for a band with a fan base as dedicated as Slipknot's, yes, they do deserve to know what really happened. And until there is that clarification, it looks really bad on Slipknot's end, and they need to understand that. So yeah, to get into the music now, like I mentioned earlier, one single for the episode, and that is Conditioned for a Head-On Collision by Foreign Hands featuring Ollie Appleyard of Static Dress. In my estimation, you would be hard-pressed to find a band on the come-up right now in both metalcore and hardcore who have as much potential to be impactful to the future of the scene as Foreign Hands. And I have been of that belief since first hearing them on the Bleed the Dream EP from last year, and then the times that I've been able to see them live, most recently on the Currents headliner back in the spring, they constantly give me reasons to just be in fucking awe at everything that they can do with this style of music. And Conditioned for a Head-On Collision is no different. This track manages to be both emotionally gripping and just pulsatingly blistering all at once. And I feel like that is already the patented style of Foreign Hands and it's what I can expect from them. And I can expect them to give me these sounds potentially better than anybody else around them. And on this song, you throw in Ali Appleyard from Static Dress, and the additional flavor and vibrancy that he can bring to the track, it is this perfect blend for everything that I look for in this type of music right now. And again, if you are not tapped into foreign hands, if you are not on their train already, then you need to correct that course. You need to tap into foreign hands because they are legitimately the future of all of us. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Remember Her Like That by 408, Shadow of the Devil by Shadow Within, Nazi by Abyss Watching Me, The Foreign Breed by Alt, Living or Dying by Bad Sons, Blue by Broadside, Rampage by Darko, Violence Surrounds by 18 Visions, Nightshade by Lost Trees, shout out to them, they do the uh, intro and outro music for the show. Left Behind by Loon featuring Garrett Russell of Silent Planet. Far Away by Never Tell. Ritual by Normandy. New Groove by Notions and Kyle of Soze. Prisoner by Novelist. The Gala by Paleface Swiss. 
MILF by Scene Queen, Deep by Silent Speaks, Bombs by Underneath, and Burn by Written by Wolves. So there was no single last week that got a below a four. It was actually a really good week. Uh, dubs all around, so uh, yeah, good shit, guys. Real good shit. So the remainder of the episode now will be dedicated to, like I mentioned at the top of the show, three of the biggest releases of the year in the scene, and in my opinion, also three of the absolute fucking best. So the first one up I want to mention is the new record by Silent Planet. It is Super Bloom. Silent Planet is one of the most unique bands that the scene has ever had. And I feel like even just calling them unique is not doing them any justice. It feels like I am, you know, under delivering in that aspect about how just like landscape changing and game changing they really have been. Um, this is a band that I followed since their debut back in 2014, The Night God Slept, which might still be my favorite release by them. I'm not sure. Super Bloom is really what kind of makes me, you know, second guess that and question that because that's been an opinion that I have kind of maintained throughout the entire run of this band. And Super Bloom is the first time where I feel like they have kind of reinvented themselves. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I feel like their other releases, such as Everything is Sound and When the End Began, they do a great job at kind of showing off the strengths of Silent Planet, but not really many moments in those records that I ever feel like the band, you know, really pushed their boundaries and really tried to experiment a little bit more and really reinvent themselves. And I think I said as much when I reviewed Iridescent two years ago. At least I feel like I did. If I didn't, you know, that's my mistake, but um, when I look at Superbloom, I feel like this was a very, very necessary and important step for Silent Planet to continue cementing themselves as, you know, one of the landmark bands of metalcore in the last 10 years. And the album doesn't come without its lore, and even calling it lore feels a little bit weird because it's a very real, real event that inspired all of this, which was the band's van accident, which happened on November 3rd, 2022, and then subsequently Super Bloom came out exactly one year to the day, November 3rd, 2023, and kind of having, you know, that lens to look at this album through, I feel like that really does help elevate and accentuate the flow of the album because it starts off with lights off the lost coast which is just an intro song but there is this sense of like you know impending doom that i think looms over that track and it kind of does feel like something that can you know be the soundtrack to a life-altering event and a really bad one at that and the way that that song goes into Offworlder, which I I want to like really, really do this review justice. And I feel like kind of reiterating certain terms when it comes to metalcore and describing that sound, it's not going to do a, a service whatsoever to Superbloom because it's an album that you really just need to, you need to listen to and you need to experience. And Offworlder gives off that great sense of just the like the ideas of silent planet and how 
well thought out they are, how fleshed out they are, how this band never really allows themselves to, you know, just put out a song. Because there are definitely bands out there that just, you know, write shit and put it out there and that's kind of what it is and that's all that it needs to be. But for Silent Planet, it is way, way, way more intricate than that, way more detailed. And Offworlder has those moments because while it's heavy, it's also very thought-provoking. And it's one of those songs where you kind of have to go back and listen to it over and over again to really catch all of these finer details laced throughout it. And I feel like that is something that kind of speaks to not just Offworlder, but the entire album of Superbloom altogether. And that was something that was going to, or rather that trajectory and that reality was made very apparent to me when it came to my expectations for the record off of antimatter and i know i've talked about antimatter a lot already and i talked about it a lot when it came out you guys out there if you exist on twitter instagram tiktok whatever the fuck you have seen constant gassing up when it comes to antimatter but i think there is a reason for that because antimatter is very different for Silent Planet. And when I mentioned earlier about, you know, this band reinventing themselves and being a, uh, a little bit more experimental, Antimatter is what I really, really wanted out of them. And that is what allowed Antimatter to become not only my favorite song on Superbloom, but having given it enough time and compared it to what I feel about the rest of the band's discography, I feel really, really comfortable in saying that Antimatter is my favorite Silent Planet song ever. And to take it another step, I think Antimatter is one of the best metalcore songs of the decade so far. I don't know if it's, you know, top 10, top 20 level conversation, but it's there. It absolutely exists there. And that was really important for Silent Planet to have that kind of a song really stamp itself on Superbloom and be something so different for them, but still captivating and in some regards even more captivating, at least, you know, in my opinion. There are tracks on here that I don't know if they were, like if the ideas were mapped out to me and explained to me on paper or text, I don't know if I would have really been able to understand just how great they would end up sounding. Collider, Euphoria, Dreamwalker, these tracks feel larger than life. They feel crucial to the identity and the progression of Silent Planet in a very similar way to Antimatter. Like, this first stretch of the record is just something of, you know, like, it's it's godlike. It's fucking tremendous, and I cannot get enough of it. And then going into Signal, I feel like what happened here on Superbloom is it really allowed me to kind of rediscover and in a way for the first time unveil this great love for Signal because I thought Signal was a great song from, you know, its initial single release, but now hearing it as part of Superbloom, my passion for this track is only heightened and heightened to the greatest extent possible. I think the overgrowth is another perfect example of the band really knowing like when to switch shit up and when to kind of broaden their horizons. And you get this closing stretch with two songs, Re-Entry, which is like the intro and prelude to the closer, Super Blue, the title track. The title track is one of the most, like, enchanting and euphoric and gutting and blistering and, like, altogether sensational listens of the entire year for myself. 
not just off of this record, not just from Silent Planet, but in totality. The title track really does help like give a spotlight to the identity of Superbloom and showcase just how many chances this band really took with their sound here. And the way that, in my opinion, these changes paid off. Because Superbloom, the title track, it just left me like in astonishment. And that's kind of crazy because I've known for close to a decade now just how good Silent Planet are. And for this record to end and me be left there thinking, this band is really fucking good. That's crazy. Because again, I've known this whole time how good they are. And this album kind of made me rediscover that and in a way appreciate them even more. I think Super Bloom is one of those records where it's going to last a lifetime. If not for the scene, then just for myself. I'm not going to forget where I was when I first heard Antimatter. I'm not going to forget where I was when I first heard Collier. And then same thing with Euphoria, Dreamwalker, The Overgrowth, Super Bloom. These songs will stick with me. And they're going to stick with me in a very profound manner. Because the impact was that great. And I would hope that anybody who is a dedicated fan of Silent Planet, you got what you wanted out of this record. I hope anybody who might have been on the fence, you gave this record a chance. And hopefully it blew you away. Because it's hard for me to envision a world and a reality where this record did not do that for you. And you know, that's a very subjective thing to say. And I understand that. But really, I look at Super Bloom and I listen to it. And I find all of these elements within it. And to me... It really, really speaks to the the change, per se, that people want in Metalcore. Because, yes, Metalcore, in this day and age especially, can be seen as, you know, very formulaic and stagnant and whatever else. Superbloom should be the record for you, if you fall into that camp. If you're somebody who, you know, grows bored of the genre every once in a while, I would imagine... And I would hope that Super Bloom gave you what you wanted because it gave me what I wanted and it gave me even more than I could have ever asked for. Let me go on a bit of a tangent right now about the wondrous and beautiful, magnificent and fucking brutal nature of Dying Wish and their new album, Symptoms of Survival. It's very hard to even entertain a conversation or a discussion about the top-level acts right now within the Venn diagram of sorts with metalcore and hardcore and not at the very least call Dying Wish a top five or top three band in that echelon, in my opinion right now, and especially coming off of Symptoms of Survival, there's a real case for Dying Wish to be number one in that conversation. They might be the best band in the world right now when it comes to mixing these elements of metalcore with hardcore and doing so in a way where the most important and identifiable aspects of these two genres are not only prevalent here, but they are mastered at the same time. 
And I really believe that Dying Wish have been on this trajectory for a while now. I remember back in 2021 talking about their record, Fragments of a Bitter Memory, and being so blown away by what they did on their debut and captivated. And I believe the title track Fragments was in my top 20 songs that year. And I maintain that opinion. I think Dying Wish really cemented themselves as a very promising act at that time. And then now, off of Symptoms of Survival, they have just completely blown away any expectations. And that potential has now been transitioned into craftsmanship and musicianship in the highest of regards. The singles rollout really did an amazing job at kind of showing that this would end up being the reality, at least myself. Um, I look at what we got in the lead up and especially on Watch My Promise Die. I think that song really carries with it this mantra of sorts for the, uh, like the nature of Dying Wish and just how good they are and how if you are coming into this record cycle as a new fan of theirs, you have every reason to support this band and back them and believe that they can catapult themselves and the genre altogether because they really do show that... um like that pathway for themselves on Watch My Promise Die. I think Watch My Promise Die is this immaculate showcasing of the two varying sides of Dying Wish. You get this very aggressive and, you know, demented sounding vibrancy from them. And then later on in the track, Emma really comes into her own with this clean section that is just completely wonderful and blissful all at once. I remember kind of saying in my review for Fragments that I really believed that Emma had something to offer when it came to her voice beyond just screaming because she has a lot of potential in that realm. And then the uh, the song that she was featured on for AEW wrestler Julia Hart last year, it allowed her that canvas to kind of explore these outlets more because that song is very symphonic and she sounds just beautiful on it. And then here on Watch My Promise Die, that is carried over perfectly into the nature and the core of Dying Wish. And it's just this amazing song that I really cannot gas up enough. It, it's fucking tremendous. And I think it was one of those moments where I listened to it and I'm like, there is no way that they miss on this record. There, there's no fucking way. And that really did end up being the case, in my opinion. And really, the album does not let up whatsoever for the first few minutes of its runtime. When you start with the title track, and then you go into Watch My Promise Die, and then Starved, Pray For Me, and Path To Your Grave. These are tracks that know what they are, and they know right away what they set out to achieve, which is to provide these fucking blistering and obliterating rhythms and melodies and breakdowns and all that sort of shit to you guys, because that is what Dying Wish excels at. And then you get into Paved in Sorrow, which I mentioned earlier, the Julia Hart song. This is a track on this record that most closely resembles what Emma was doing there. It's just very, like, angelic while still being chaotic in a way. It's kind of hard to describe. It's like, Emma does this amazing job at kind of carrying the song with her clean vocals, but all in that, in, in that breath, you can still sense, like, this very, like, dark and diabolical undertone that Dying Wish have done an incredible job at lacing throughout this entire record. And you hear the song and you think, God, she sounds fucking amazing. But at the same time, in the back of your mind, you know it's going to explode. You know the next track is going to leave you floored. And that's exactly what happened on Tongues of Lead and just how 
amazing Dying Wish are at kind of channeling through these varying sounds and doing so in a way that, again, like I mentioned earlier, when it came to kind of blending metalcore and hardcore, it does not at all compromise any of the strengths of the band members or the strengths of the genre lines alone. I think this is one of the easiest listens of 2023, and what I mean by easy is that it's it's effortless to get into this record. It's effortless to, you know, put some headphones on or your speakers or whatever you hear music from and just be floored by everything happening here and be captivated and be mesmerized and be taken on this roller coaster where one minute, you know, you're fucking banging your head and you can imagine yourself kind of vibing out at a show with these songs and just moshing and then crowd surfing, whatever your prerogative is. And then at the same time with a song like Paved in Sorrow, you're just completely baffled and blown away by how immensely talented this fucking band is and how they really can be a cornerstone for the scene and we really do owe it to ourselves to you know keep propelling dying wish and keep them elevated because they can do wondrous things for all of us and this album and even going back to fragments they have the library to show what they can do for all of us. And I fucking hope and hope and hope that they can see that through and become one of the biggest bands in metalcore and hardcore and at large, the entire music landscape. And for the final record of the episode, it is not only one of the best EPs of the year, in my opinion, but at large, one of the best EPs in the history of the alternative scene. The Fear of Fear by Spirit Box. If I were prompted to name the four pillars of the alternative scene landscape currently and over the last year or year and a half or however that might be, my answers would be Bad Omens, Sleep Token, Lorna Shore, and Spirit Box. And I would actually say Spirit Box is at the top of that echelon. What Spirit Box have been able to do in a relatively short period like you guys need to keep in mind their first release was back in 2017 so we're only talking about a discography that spans six years the work that they've done in those six years and the acclaim and fanfare that they've amassed is genuinely remarkable and mind-blowing and eye-opening for somebody like myself who was introduced to Courtney and Mike through Iris of the Bear once, seeing them where they're at now, I, I'm almost left speechless. And the only reason that I cannot be speechless is because I have to describe to you guys the emotions that I felt listening to the fear of fear and the effect that it's been able to have on me and the effect that I believe it can have on not only you guys listening, but anybody else out there in the scene stratosphere, fan and artist alike. And I look at the packaging for The Fear of Fear and the fact that all six songs have received music videos and each video 
tells a different story. The aesthetic is different. They all have their own identities and characters. And I feel like that only allows the songs to kind of blossom even further and become more of a mainstay in my listening habits of Spirit Box than they would have already been. And I know The Void, which was the lead single for the EP, its music video is classified as a visualizer by the band. But those are some incredible visuals, and it really does an amazing job at using, you know, the CGI effects implemented into that visualizer to also tell the story of The Void, and it feels very apropos to the nature of that song, because The Void is one of the more, I guess you could say, like, streamlined songs on here. There's no screaming on it, it's very accessible, but it's accessible to an extent where I feel like every element that makes Spirit Box as magnificent as they are, it's present here. The Void is catchy and energetic and anthemic all at once. I fucking love The Void. I have not been able to stop listening to it since April. And then going through the Fear Fear over and over again the last few days, I've caught myself listening to The Void potentially more than any track on the EP because I think The Void has that kind of staying power. I fucking love The Void. It honestly might be like top five even on some days top three spirit box song i've ever heard jaded was the second single and i don't think i mentioned the music video when i talked about jaded before but because i have this opening now i cannot get enough of just the look of it and the production of it the lighting the mirrors that surround all of the band members and just they look like stars. They don't just look like musicians here. They look like fucking stars in another realm. And I'm going to go into the video now for Cellar Door, but I do want to mention that there's a, a connective thread between the videos for Jaded and Cellar Door that I notice, and I've noticed for pretty much the entire duration of Spirit Box's um, tenure. In these videos, in the sections of the song where Courtney is screaming, she doesn't actually, like raise her intensity in her body language it doesn't look like she is actually screaming it has the same cadence and again body language as if she was just giving her you know enchanting clean vocals and i think that is one of those types of characteristics for courtney specifically that it's not really something that you can teach somebody it's something that they just have and courtney has that charisma and that elegancy that translates so perfectly to these performance videos the video for cellar door it has this very dark and grimy aesthetic that matches the tone of the song to a fucking T. Like, if you ask me to close my eyes and listen to Cellar Door and just imagine what the video would look like, this is pretty much what I would say. It's just... I keep running into these walls in this review right now because I feel like there's not enough that I can say about Spirit Box to really effectively you know, do them justice or do this EP justice or do the visual aspect of it justice. Cellar Door is just amazing. The video is top-notch. Um, I'm pretty sure most people who watch the video, um, you know, they kind of gravitate towards the same section of it specifically. Um, it's right before the breakdown where Courtney says, I can't live in this world while I breathe in another one. And she like smashes the ground. And then there's this like shot of her in the band and like blue light over them. It is 
fucking marvelous and sensational. And I, like I said, I just, sometimes you don't really know what to say because it feels like the video and the music speak for themselves. And so now to get into the non-singles, or, or at least the non-singles before the EP's release, Angel Eyes really does an amazing job at kind of picking up where Celador left off when it comes to the aggression and the heaviness of the band. And the video that's attached to Angel Eyes is another remarkable instance of the band just knowing what the visual aspect of these songs are meant to represent and meant to induce. In the video for Angel Eyes, Courtney is looking back at a version of herself that's contained in like this water tank of sorts. And the just constant standoff between these two Courtney figures is one of those like it's very intriguing. And I'm watching the video and I'm just kind of like, where is this going? Like, what is this meant to be doing? And then when the breakdown commences, the video goes from having this blue filter into a red filter and it matches and mirrors the intensity of the song just perfectly at that point. And it's so easy to imagine this song in a live setting where the lighting effect does the same thing. And it is just really exciting to think about and exciting to watch and exciting to listen to all at the same time. Um, Ultraviolet. So this is the closer of the EP. It is one of the most enchanting songs I've listened to all year. And it is accompanied by potentially the most visually stunning music video I've seen all year because what this video does is it's it's so different and it's very contrasting to what I've mentioned about Angel Eyes and Jaded and Cellar Door. Ultraviolet, it kind of drops Courtney in like this vacant room that's like very disheveled and she has on this dress that's like almost like a disco ball, like the... um the like the vibrancy of it and the reflecting patterns and that sort of stuff and in the chorus the camera starts to like follow her around like in a circle and it is this just it's this moment where it feels like everything kind of blossoms and like the sky opens up and all that is left for all of us to watch descend on us is the pure greatness and genius and brilliance that is Spirit Box. Ultraviolet is just a remarkable song. Anything and everything about the packaging of this track is commendable. And anybody who had a hand in composing the song or putting together the treatment for the video, you fucking outdid yourself. Like, for real, for real. And then there is Too Close, Too Late, which I believe was the last of the videos released for the EP. And what happens here in this video is the filtering of it is very like monochromatic and desaturated. And I personally believe that choice of an aesthetic works very well to the advantage of the overall emotional and somber state of the song. Because Too Close Too Late is maybe the slowest trek here on the EP, and also, in my opinion, one of the best. I really think when Spirit Box find the perfect rhythm for themselves in a song that slows down the tempo like this, they are unmatched. Like, I remember 
feeling a similar way for We Live in a Strange World, which was the slowest song on Eternal Blue. And I sent a lot of the same notions coming to my brain right now to relate to Too Close Too Late. This song is perfect and the video for it, it's, you know, it's a fucking mirror of the quality of the track. And again, that's kind of how I feel about the EP altogether. Actually, not kind of. That is definitively how I feel about the fear of fear. Every step taken to make this EP what it is was necessary. Every choice for the structure of the songs, which tracks would be heavy, which would be soft, how are they going to be ordered in the EP, how does each video or visualizer distinguish itself from the other how does each video correlate to the nature and the style of the songs here every choice made was the correct choice and spirit box once again displayed in a beautiful malevolent and perfect manner for all of us out there in the scene just how fucking special they are and why they have reached the heights that they have in a short span of time because they are undeniable and that's it that was every album and EP and single from last week for me to review. And this was a very important week. And even if it was like a lighter week in terms of the quantity, the quality really made this like one of the most important weeks of the year for the scene. And I hope that anybody who was anticipatory of Spirit Box and or Silent Planet and or Dying Wish, you felt fulfilled hearing these releases because I did. And these records really, really, you know, kind of helped show me once again why this scene means as much to me as it does and why being on this microphone and relaying information to you guys is as important to me as it is. And we'll keep this going for as long as it is humanly possible for me to do this, which is hopefully a really, 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 really long time. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And, as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.